Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We are back and better than ever. Our eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. It's up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-back attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts on Twitter. Welcome into a double dip, sort of. Well, it's a new week, so I guess it's not a double dip. Uh, you're listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Desmond Johnson here with Sports Illustrated beat writer Skylar Callahan. Hey, man, we got a lot of stuff to dig into. I didn't think we were going to have yeah. this when we <laughs> decided to do this episode uh, late last week. But uh, lucky us, the Panthers front office super aggressive, uh, which I think we both like. And uh, we got a trade alert. We got a trade alert to talk about. I'll let you uh, take over this uh, with some details, Skylar. The Panthers trading for a cornerback uh, from uh, Jacksonville that was just a first-round pick a couple years ago, correct? Yeah, uh, this was – like you said, this was almost perfect timing because us as journalists, it, it's always kind of hard to adjust your schedule when you're going from – you got a whole week of stuff that you're trying to cram into, you know, three or four days on a Thursday night, and then you have that overlap of trying to get something, you know, figured out. You're playing from Friday to, to, to the regular week when you're starting the next game week. So – uh, this was great that this all came down today. Kind of helped us out. Uh, but yeah, Carolina traded the tight end Dan Arnold in the fifth round pick in the 2022 draft to the Jacksonville Jaguars for CJ Henderson, cornerback from the Jaguars, and a fifth round pick. So it's a fifth and CJ Henderson coming to Carolina for a third round pick and Dan Arnold to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So yeah, this was this was kind of a a surprising trade yesterday. Uh, or I don't know if it was yesterday, but at some point over the weekend, the Panthers kind of put some feelers out, and uh, Richard Sherman was a name that popped up in free agency, obviously having that connection with uh, Scott Fitterer during their time together in Seattle. Felt like that was a, a pretty good uh, prerequisite of what was going to happen. You know, the, the Panthers were, were bound to make a move somewhere in that secondary. Just didn't know exactly where it was going to come from. I think Richard Sherman would have been a good addition but you're talking about a guy that's late in his or not late in his thirties, but he's later in his career, somewhere in his you know early to mid thirties. Yeah, I think he's like thirty-two. Probably, uh, yeah, 32, 33 years old. Probably only going to be a one-year guy, a rental, if you will, where you can go out and trade, you know, a, a, a decent tight end and your third-round pick for a guy that was drafted ninth overall in twenty twenty. I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Um, I was a little shocked that they gave up Dan Arnold. I know from some, some of the other reports that are coming out that the Panthers were trying all their best to, to be able to keep Dan Arnold out of this trade. But when, you, when you're trying to get somebody that good, you're going to have to depart with somebody. And that's the hardest part about this, uh, you know, these, these jobs in, in this business. But 
Um, very interesting, I think. I think this 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 t- told me three things three things right away. Number one, Carolina's all sold in and, and all bought in for winning right now, not yep. next year, two years from now, right now. They believe they have the pieces to be able to go and, and put together a decent enough season to be able to make the postseason, to make some noise in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Number two, it tells me that Tommy Tremble was a little bit further along than what they expected. We all know the blocking you know, aspect of his game and everything, but you saw the rushing touchdown the other day. We've seen him catch the ball a few times. Matt Rule said he's the Jeremy Chin of la- of, of this year's draft, but on the offensive side of the ball, that's a lot. That's very high praise. It's, yeah. And number th- and the third thing for me that that kind of stood out about this trade was: Does this mean this is kind of spelling the end for Dante Jackson? Because when you have J.C. Horn, you have C.J. Henderson. I don't know that they're going to be willing to pay up Dante Jackson after his contract runs out this year. They may use that money and allocate it to that offensive line where it's most needed. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those points. Um, for I wanted to start off on the Dan Arnold side of this uh, this trade because I again made the mistake of going online after this uh, <laughs> after this trade <laughs> done and poking around social media just to kind of see how Panther fans felt about it. And I don't know, maybe it was people falling in love with the Sam Darnold to Dan Arnold line that were, that people were going to have to say whenever they made a catch or something. Dudes only had seven catches in three games for yeah. 84 months. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like we're giving up Wesley Walls or Jay Novacek or someone. It's just someone that rhymes with our quarterback's last name. That's really what it comes down to in the end. And for them to be able to flip uh, Dan Arnold into a guy that was a, a, a first-round draft pick, what was it, two years ago? You said 2020? Was that when yeah, you 2020. Yeah. So just two seasons ago, really less than two seasons ago, was uh, a top-10 draft pick, right? Like that's incredible to me that they're able to do that. And then, yes, they're not going to have some uh, some picks. Really, I think after the first round coming up here, they won't have a pick until like the fourth round or something like that. Is there anyone out there who watched Scott Fitterer do his 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 thing over draft weekend this past uh, off season? Is there anyone that thinks we're going to go into that draft not having any second and third round picks by the time <laughs> we're actually picking? Like, if not, you're just not paying attention and you just want to argue and you want to whine about something, anything, whatever side some people are on, you just want to be on the other side. So having said that, that that also told me, yeah, this is uh, an opportunity for for them to get the most out of Dante Jackson because if Dante truly is in a money year uh, with JC going down, it might have made it easier for him to justify getting more money by just simply being there and being a starting cornerback and just making sure you know he's not getting exposed. Now he's going to actually have some competition and have to work for it and they'll have to make a decision at the end of the year. They want to keep Dante, somebody that they drafted and groomed themselves and is becoming, uh, He's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's a captain uh, this year. Uh, do you want to lose that? Uh, and he's still relatively young. He's on his rookie deal. Or do you want to – some kind of combination between the the those two, J.C. Horn, Dante Jackson, and uh, and this new guy that they just traded in, uh, his, his name has already slipped my mind already because I literally just saw it. Like, <laughs> C.J. Henderson, sorry, from Jacksonville. <laughs> Um, and then you've got, you know, A.J. Boye, and we don't know exactly what we have with him yet. He's still relatively young. He's been a pro bowler before. So if anything, they're creating depth. They they learned from last year that the one thing you have to have in the NFL for your roster is depth. If you don't have depth, you can throw all this other stuff like making the playoffs and being aggressive and all that stuff out the window. you got to have dudes that are on the second, third line of defense for you uh, as you're doing this. I don't have a problem with this at all, especially we found out J.C. Horn was getting placed on IR, which I assume elevated this trade even more today. 
Uh, JC Horn placed on IR about 15, 20 minutes before we came on to do this. Uh, and Rashad Melvin was uh, added to the main roster. So they're fortifying the, the back end of the defense and trying to move on without uh, sensational rookie JC Horn. I don't have a problem with this trade uh, whatsoever for Henderson. I think it's a good move. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, the biggest surprise to me was, you know, flipping Dan Arnold, which I know they, they tried not to do. But I, I just had this really weird feeling that Dan Arnold was going to emerge and, and evolve into this really good, solid pass-catching tight end. I mean, he still very well could down there in Jacksonville. And he's going to be a maybe a go-to target for Trevor Lawrence. But, I mean, I, I don't know if he was going to emerge into a Greg Olson or anything, but I thought he was going to be very, very good. So that, that that is tough to move on. But if Tommy Trumbull lives up to the hype, I think it's the right move. And the way you look at it is really two ways. If you look at the past two drafts, 2020, 2021, the Panthers have three guys that were drafted in the top 10 of those two drafts, Derek Brown, J.C. Horn, and L.C.J. Henderson. That's hmm. incredible. And, and not only that, yeah. Yeah, and not only that, but then you look at the at the at the trades that you know that have made those second and third round picks go away in this upcoming draft. Okay, you traded a second and a fourth to the Jets for Sam Darnold. That's turning out to be really good as of right now. That looks really good. That that that's a bargain. And then if, if C.J. Henderson lives up to the bill to the billing, you just got another bargain by trading a third round pick for C.J. Henderson. Like that, yeah. that to me is just. Really good job by Scott Federer, you know, figuring out what the right price point is, not giving up too much. And, and the fun thing about this is for the Panthers fans, you look at that defense and you, you see Brian Burns, J.C. Horn, Jeremy Chin, and, you know, and uh, some other guys like Derek Brown. I mean, these yeah. these are guys that are all 23 years or younger. Yeah, they're all on rookie contracts. <laughs> yeah, like They're all making rookie money. Now, they're going to have some decisions to make three, four years from now. But right. those are the kind of decisions you want to make as a franchise. You know what I mean? Like you want to be in a position where you've got – That's a good problem to have. Four, yeah, three, four Pro Bowl, all-conference, oh, well, all-league caliber type players. you got to figure out who you want to pay. And if you're David Tepper, and these guys are 25, 26 years old when it comes around and they've proven their worth, he's kind of shown he'll pay the money. Like he doesn't really – this is nothing to him. <laughs> this has changed. Yeah. This is the richest <laughs> owner in the NFL. I mean, worth $14 billion last time I checked. If he's got to spend a little bit more money than the average owner would in order to bring a contender to Charlotte, I think he's chomping at the bit to just be in a position to do so, which is why I think this trade happened. You know, like he hasn't had a winning season since he bought the franchise. He bought the franchise, what was it, three years ago now, four years ago? So, I mean, it's yeah. been a minute. He hasn't been to the playoffs yet as an owner, and you know that's got to be eating David Tepper alive. So um, it looks, I think you're absolutely right, this whole mentality that, you got to wait your turn. got to stay in line. It's going to take three, four years to build a franchise. Not really. The Rams got turned around in about a year and a half, really, when Sean McVay showed up there. Like, it doesn't take yeah. a very long time if you have a plan. And clearly, the Panthers have a plan. I'm, I'm with it. I, I, love, I love the concentrated aggression of the front office staff. When they decide they want something, they just go get it. They don't sit back and debate it. They don't really put it out in the public. What do you think about this? They don't worry about how people are going to feel about it. They just do it all the way from cutting Cam Newton to today trading Dan Arnold. Like if it's something they want and they think it's going to better the franchise as a whole in the end, they just do it. And that's what I've wanted all along. I just want a franchise that has yeah. the direction that knows what they're doing. And uh, it's starting to come out in the field a little bit too. Um, I wanted to go around the league a little bit because with the Panthers not playing 
on Sunday, haven't already played, there was a lot of uh, action going on around the league uh, that we probably should get into, especially in our conference. But uh, I wanted to uh, talk first about Balance 7. Uh, we've got a promotion running with Balance 7 right now, where if you go to their website, balance7.com, and use the code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V at checkout, you'll receive a free four-ounce bottle of My Smooth Skin with any purchase of Balance 7 products. That product retails at $13.99, so I'd say it's worth it. Head to balance7.com, that's balance7.com, and use the code BELIEVE at checkout to get in on the promotion. If it worked for thousands of athletes in different pro uh, sports, it can work for you too. That's Balance 7, pH Balancing Alkaline Supplement. Um, around the league, uh, I, I think, the, well, of course, the marquee game was Rams and Buccaneers on Sunday. Uh, the Bucks falling to the Rams. The Carolina Panthers at 3-0 and are top of the NFC South. Look at that. Uh, yeah, by themselves. <laughs> probably first time, probably since, by themselves, probably since 2015 that I can think about. 2017, I think we were chasing the Saints the whole year. And like a year, we were like a game or so behind them the whole year. And then we just haven't, you know, done anything uh, record-wise since then. But yeah, 2015 is probably the last time we were in this position. The last time we were three and zero, um, kind of odd. I uh, I think uh, the Rams might be a problem. <laughs> the Rams yeah. might be a serious legit problem. They look like they're just having too much fun. Like they look like they look like the way the Bucks looked in the Super Bowl, where they're just they can just do whatever. They've got a top five defense. Pretty sure they got a top five offense at this point, too. And Matthew Stafford just looks ridiculous with Sean McVay. Like, it's almost like it reminds me of when Drew Brees uh, got to New Orleans and those first couple of years uh, there with Sean Payton, where it was like they were just doing stuff that you hadn't really seen quarterbacks do before, but it worked because of the skill set of Drew Brees and it made the whole offense just a juggernaut. And they stayed that way for a decade. I'm getting those vibes from uh, Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly was not high on the Rams coming into the season. And I know they had a really good defense. They had some pieces offensively. Stafford is an upgraded quarterback. But I, I don't know. I just felt like that this was going to be kind of like a building year for them. And then they will really ascend in 2022. But they are way ahead of that plan. I mean, they yeah. look like <laughs> the team to beat in the NFL right now. I mean, they really do. And really, the, the thing that I took away out of this game is, is Tampa Bay's inability to run the football. I mean, when Tom Brady's your leading rusher, you're probably not going to win very many wow. games. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't remember if he had 12, 14 yards. I can't remember what it was. But he, he was the team's leading rusher. I think it was the second time uh, in his career where he has led a team in rushing. So, I, I think that's going to be something that they, they'll work out. And that Rams defensive front is nasty. But when you compare the L.A. Rams defense and the Panthers defense, there's a lot of similarities in some certain spots. So. I know we're a ways away from from seeing Tampa Bay for that first time, but that's going to be an interesting matchup. If the Panthers could potentially split with Tampa Bay, that's that's going to make things really really intriguing in the NFC South. But um, but aside from that, I thought that the uh, obviously the Baltimore Ravens game was insane. The sixty six yard field goal that just somehow bounced in um, yeah. that was phenomenal. <laughs> and uh, the, the Steelers losing to the Bengals at home didn't look good at all. I think they're they're about to hit the panic button. And really, I, I don't know what to make of the whole Justin Fields situation. I mean, I don't think he's been dealt a fair hand, and I know he did not look good at all. They had 47 yards of total offense, but I'm not really <laughs> willing to give up on him just yet. 
I, I wanted to address that a little bit too because there was a lot of folks that were like, we should trade, we should draft Justin Fields at number eight. And uh there was a reason why the the Bears weren't putting him out there. And I was seeing talking heads say, you know, throw him out there. You got Zach Wilson playing and Mac Jones playing, and uh there's no reason to hold a rookie quarterback back. We saw on Sunday why the Bears were not playing Justin Fields yet. Uh this wasn't by choice, they had to. Andy Dalton was injured. And uh, they did a great, great break, uh, breakdown on Get Up on ESPN this morning. Ryan Clark and Dan Orlovsky have started doing this segment where they pause the uh, the the, the All Twenty Two film, and they're literally walking you through Ryan Clark as the defensive back and Dan Orlovsky as the quarterback, both sides of a play, like what's happening. And they tore Matt Nag- Nagy to shreds in terms of what they did to <laughs> not not give this kid a chance, like. Some of the stuff they were doing, I'm just sitting there watching this morning, just laughing out loud. Because I'm like, they didn't even give this guy a chance, really. Like, they, they weren't picking up no. blitzes. They were making him do things like hand off to the right side and then, like, shift his hips to the left to throw to somebody over on the left side. And there's a cornerback coming in unabated on a blitz with no one there. So he's turning his hips, and all of a sudden he's getting kissed by a DB. It's crazy, like, what they did to him. And uh, they, they uh, I think it was Rex Ryan came up with a great stat. He was, like, out of uh, – Rookie quarterbacks like that over the past couple of years that have lost in that manner, they're like four and 26 or something like the next 30 games after. Like basically it ruined those quarterbacks. So wow. uh, what they do now with Justin Fields, I don't know because I don't think Dalton's coming back anytime soon. Uh, but they need to start game scheming for his skill set because I don't think they did. Uh, another thing that came to mind too, thinking about that uh, performance with Fields with the Bears I wonder how much Atlanta regrets not drafting Justin Fields at this point because yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta is not good. And uh, <laughs> the uh, I, I was looking – I'm trying to go and look and see where they're ranked offensively. They look like they're ranked like 26 or something like that. They're averaging 16 points per game, only 218 yards per game in the passing game. Matt Ryan looks like a shell of himself. Justin Fields came from the Atlanta area, if I'm not mistaken. They could have had Justin Fields – justifiably at number four and still have Justin Fields because what good is Kyle Pitts going to do for you if Matt Ryan is sitting on his ass in the you know in the backfield like it doesn't matter if you can't throw him the ball so uh the Panther defense is proving that right now uh you know it doesn't matter who's back there or who the wide receivers are if the if the quarterback only has a second and a half to two seconds to throw the ball more often than not, he's not going to be accurate. Like, it's just the way it is. It's just physics. And that's kind of why the Panthers, as I'm scrolling through uh, stats right now, literally lead the NFL in all defensive categories that I can see. They're like ESPN is showing Philly uh, above them, but Philly's only played two games. Uh, so, for, right. so for comparison, just to show how devastating this Panther defense has been so far, the Panthers have only allowed 573 yards total through three games. That shows That's them on ESPN. As, <laughs> yes, that shows in a second. The Eagles are number one with 566 yards in two games. So in three so games. plays into tonight's game. <laughs> yeah, so once they play the Cowboys tonight, that's going to completely fall apart. And literally the next team behind the Panthers is the Broncos at 665. So they've literally almost allowed 100 yards less over three games than the next closest team overall on defense, which is Denver. Um, it, it's just the stuff they're doing is crazy. They're only allowing 45 yards on the ground rushing through three games. And one of those games had Alvin Kamara in it. That's the thing that drives me. Yeah. <laughs> right. People are like, hey, maybe we can, let's stop right here and talk about the, the trolls online. Cause when people are like, 
oh, well, you haven't played anybody yet. You're the worst 3-0 team ever. Uh, well, you played two rookies, that kind of thing. I'm like, look, all of them get paid. They're all pros. When did New Orleans start to suck? Because my understanding, people were picking New Orleans ahead of us in the NFC South before the season began, that this is going to be a turnaround year for Jameis. Alvin Kamara is one of the top running backs in the, the league. They've got one of the top offensive lines. Their defense is stout. Blah, 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 blah. As soon as the Panthers laid hands on them dudes, now the Saints are like, well, maybe that was a fluke what happened with uh, Green Bay week one. Uh, maybe the Saints aren't as good as we thought. But what about maybe the Panthers are better than what you thought? You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. not there. I don't understand. I don't understand the logic. I really don't. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, too, last week, I mean, you go back and you, you look at that game that the Panthers played against the Saints. Defensively, yes, there, there's, there's, I guess you could say, you, you know, with them having as many starters as they had out, that probably played a little bit of a role in the Panthers having the success that they did have offensively at times. But when you look at the Saints' offense, this is the same exact offense that put up yep. 38 on Green Bay. The same six exact guy, Michael six Thomas. Days before. <laughs> it was only six yeah. days before. <laughs> yeah, six days before. It's not like Michael Thomas was out there and had 200 yards receiving. I mean, yeah. this is the same exact dudes that got just absolutely shut down by Carolina. And I think a lot of it is, yes, Jameis Winston is a decent quarterback, but it's Jameis Winston is still the same quarterback he was in Tampa Bay, and no one can tell me differently. He's wildly he's wildly inconsistent. He makes very this very really questionable decisions with the football. He's a gambler. He, he's a gambler. He's a risk taker, and that's what he is. And, and I think the biggest thing that's going to hinder him in this offense. Okay, we know Jameis Winston likes to throw the ball deep down the field, but when you have a team like Carolina that can get to the quarterback, pressure the pocket, and, and really get up in his face. That's going to cause a lot of problems. In years past, Drew Brees would get the ball out so fast he wouldn't even get touched. Mm -hmm. But now, Jameis Winston, he likes to hold on to the ball, throw it a little bit further. If he gets to where there's a crowded pocket, he's not one of those dudes that can just slither slither away and and make a play with his legs. He is a guy that is very, what I like to call, top-heavy. When you watch him run, it looks like he's top-heavy. Like he, He can't really maneuver as good as some of these other quarterbacks, and I think that's going to be a problem for them. I'm looking at the – I'm still on the defensive stats, and I'm looking at the other teams that are up there, uh, Denver, Cleveland, Buffalo, Dallas, um, the Patriots. Well, Dallas is up there because they only played two games. The Patriots, the Saints. The Saints are in the top ten for defense overall, like in terms of yards allowed. Uh, actually, the Jets are in the top 15. So, I mean, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, are, are we going to either give the Panthers some respect for what they've done so far with a team that no one expected to start 3-0 and I think the Panthers and the Broncos are in the lead for which team did you expect to not start the least out of those. Um, And they're kind of connected with the Teddy Bridgewater connection there. But uh, this is even beyond even what the most loyal Panther fans thought, like us. Like, you know, this is beyond even what we thought was going to happen with the defense. And we're one of the few that were harping the whole, they can be a top 10 defense all off season, just off of the paper. I don't think either one of us expected this. This is like, they come out and each game is the same. They come out the first half and they just blitz you. Like they just punch you in the face. And when they do, it's like the other team can't get into a rhythm. Then in the second half, I've noticed in the third quarter, they kind of back off a little bit from off of that. Uh, it takes them a little bit to kind of pick it back up. They don't completely fall off, but the damage they've done in the first half usually creates something where the other team they're playing against has to kind of dig out of a hole 
So it makes it where they can pin their ears back and kind of play the way they want to in the second half. But it's not just this all out assault like it is in the first and second quarter. And it's felt like that the first three games of the year. Now, I know people are like, uh, you played three rookies and you played uh, New Orleans who didn't have their best wide receiver, blah, blah, blah. I want to know what the excuse is going to be this Sunday when they play the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, because they've got uh, a red hot Dak Prescott coming in here. Uh, I would imagine by the time this this Monday night football game is over with, Dallas is going to be towards the top of the league in terms of uh, yards. They're actually second, as it stands right now, in yards per game. They average about 435 yards per game. To put that in perspective, the Panthers are only allowing 191 yards per game through three games. So something's got to give. Uh, I, I Honestly, I think the key to the game is uh, making the Cowboys one-dimensional, which won't be very hard, to be honest, because Zeke's not running the way he used to before he got paid. Tony Pollard might be a little bit of an issue, but if they can hold Alvin Kamara down, then I don't really feel like Tony Pollard's going to be a bigger threat than what Kamara was uh, representing in the run game. Then you just force them to throw. And yes, Dak will try to throw for 400 yards. They've let him do it. But then you can really start to chase after, dude. And I think that's kind of what the Panthers want. Um, Plus, Cowboys coming off a short week, playing Monday night football, and have to turn around and play a 1 p.m. game on Sunday on the road. I think it stacks up favorably for Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I think it could. Um, This is definitely going to be a big test for them because – Again, New Orleans defensively, they they had their starters out. That was a tough challenge uh, for New Orleans. Um, but this is really, I think, the first game that Carolina will, will have played where the opposing team is is actually very competitive, and on both sides of the ball, they have a bunch of dudes that are going to be able to play. So, yeah, that that, that again, I'm not going to take anything away from that win against New Orleans. That was a a very good win for Carolina. But this is a, a whole nother level because if, if, if the Panthers played the, the Saints that played yesterday against New England, it may have been a different ballgame. Carolina, I, I still think Carolina would have came out on top, but it, it would have been a completely different type of game where I, I agree. I think you've got to get a ton of pressure on Dak Prescott. You're going to see that very early on from Phil Snow. He's going to dial up blitzes from all over the place. You know how creative he is, how innovative he can be. When you have so many guys that are positionless, like a Hassan Reddick, a Brian Burns, um, and, and Jeremy Chin, and, and so on and so forth, those types of guys are, are what make Phil Snow even a better defense coordinator because he can dial up so many different things. Because when, when a, a quarterback looks on the opposing defense, he's looking at, okay, where's the mic at? Where's the, the blitz coming from? So on and so forth. But when you can't really identify what guy can do what or where he's going to be on any certain play, it makes things it makes life very very difficult for for an opposing quarterback. Yeah, and, and we've I seen. Think, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. No, you're good. And I and I think really with Dak Prescott, we all know that injury from a year ago. Everyone's still a little kind of a little nervous. I think about, about <laughs> I that injury. You want to get in his face, flush him out of the pocket, make him beat you with his arm, but make him beat you with his arm on the run. I think that plays into your hands a lot better than him just standing back there in the pocket, you playing zone coverage, rushing forward. I, I, that's just how I, I see it. This defense, uh, and I, I made fun of Phil Snow, the whole three-man down 
uh, defensive front that they ran last year, but they didn't really do anything off of it. They kind of played prevent out of it. I didn't realize the dude was installing this like college style defense that once he had the horses in there, he's going to do a lot of different things. And that's literally what it's like a three, three, five kind of sort of a nickel, but not really a nickel. And it's like, you're kind of, it's different. <laughs> it's very different. And it's hard to scheme because it's like, like you said, you don't know where the pressure is coming from on any given play. I think it was the very first play that Dallas, uh, that Carolina lined up for on defense on Thursday night. I made a point to like kind of pause it and just look at where everybody was. And it was just this jumble. There's no like defined <laughs> like, like area where anybody is really. There's like seven or eight dudes kind of milling around the box sort of. Two of those dudes are going to drop back. You don't know which two it's going to be. And maybe somebody from the secondary is going to come in, and you don't know who that, that's going to be. You've got three guys like are kind of down linemen, uh, kind of centered around Derek Brown. And then you've got either a, t- a linebacker at the edge or you've got a pass rusher like Brian Burns at the edge. Uh, and then if, if Burns is at the edge, then you probably have someone like uh, – like Hassan Reddick or someone, not exactly on the edge on the other side, but maybe playing inside. It's weird. It's like I can't really explain like what they're doing, but it took them about a year to kind of. It's almost like learning the triangle offense in in basketball. Yeah, I remember uh, it, if you watch the Last Dance, BJ Armstrong was talking about when they insta- when they instituted the triangle with the Bulls in '91. It was like it took us about a year to get it, but once we got it, it was like a smooth operating thing, and it made our star shine even more in the offense. And that I think that's kind of what this defense is doing. Uh, it's almost like a the Buddy Ryan amoeba defense. Do you remember that? Like where it was just kind of like yeah, sort of like the the Bears uh, defense from '86, but they were a little bit more defined. They had a better like front four than that Bears defense did with like Reggie White and you know Jerome Brown and Claude Simmons and those guys. So they were able to do some things and toss some guys around and let the the, the linebackers kind of run free. And that's sort of what Carolina is doing. I think they match up considerably well against Dallas. We haven't even talked about, you know, the Panthers going into this game without Christian McCaffrey. Like, to me, I feel like the defense can win this game for Carolina. Yeah, and and to kind of go off that, that positionless defensive mentality, I mean, if you're Dak Prescott, if you're Tom Brady or, you know, any other quarterback that's going to see this defense – when you line up, it doesn't matter what look they're going to give you because really if the only two guys you know for sure are not going to come um, or, or are not going to drop back in coverage are going to be Derek Brown and Daquan Jones. Yep. And most teams, they don't have that. Most teams' defensive ends, they are solely in to rush the passer and affect the pocket, stop the run, whatever. They don't have guys like Brian Burns, Itor Gross Matos, Hassan Reddick, that can that can all drop in coverage. So you could have a look where it looks like they may be bringing, you know, five, six, maybe seven guys, and then all of a sudden the only – I've seen a couple of plays where the only two guys that come in like full force are Daquan Jones and Derrick Brown. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe, maybe you have a linebacker slipping in off the, off the left tackle. But it, it's a very, very difficult defense to, to kind of understand and grasp. And, I, and it's kind of a – it's not necessarily exactly uh, a carbon copy of what um, they do at Iowa State. Now, that's a, a very tough defense to prepare for. And I know a lot of people maybe haven't watched Iowa State play. They play that that similar 3-3 stack defense. It's an umbrella-type defense where you have no idea where the coverages are or anything. And obviously, Matt Rule, Phil Snow, they've been in the Big 12. They've seen that defense – 
that defense is kind of spread throughout that Big 12 conference. They've taken some pieces out of that, and you can tell. You know, it's funny, too, because for the past – well, really, it's been going on forever, but especially over the past decade, I do a lot of uh, stuff with high school football here in uh, in the Triad, North Carolina, whether it's broadcasting or talking to coaches, interviews, stuff like that. So I've been around the game in high school for about a decade here, and you you tend to see the trends on offense that start in high school – trickle upwards like they go from high school then college kind of adapts them a little bit and then they find their ways to the pros the wildcat offense is the perfect example of this in terms of it started in high school and kind of moved its way up the the pistol spread offense that uh the urban meyer kind of made famous in college at utah that started in high schools and and he kind of took it adapted it to his own thing and then you saw it in college you see it rpo a lot of that was started in high school went to college into the pros, but we never really talk about defenses in college getting adapted for the pros. This is the first time I could think of in a long time where it's widely acknowledged. The defense that Carolina is running comes from college. And it's just like a, yeah, I don't know. It's not a bad thing. If I think at first it caught, they tried to make it sound like it was a bad thing. Oh, it was a college defense. I'm like, well, they're playing offenses that are emulating college offenses. Why would you not <laughs> try to emulate the defense right. designed to stop them? Whether they're, college or pop warner football's football like the schemes and stuff don't change it's just the size of the player and the age of the player that's really all it changes but football is basic in its most basic sense run the football stop the run you do that and you're gonna win more games than you lose like more often than not. it doesn't matter what year it is or what's trending and uh i i think carolina's got a great chance to win this football game especially at home now we do need to address the elephant in the room of course christian mccaffrey uh he, uh, we dodged a bullet. He uh, didn't tear anything. And last I checked, the grade uh, of his hamstring strain is actually a less than grade one. I think I saw it was like a 0.50 or something, whatever that means. So it, basically, he's going to be out for a couple of weeks uh, yeah. to, play, to play it cautiously, the way it sounds. And we uh, we had a little bit of a, a thing online where a couple of folks were calling us out saying that we <laughs> can't win anything without Christian McCaffrey. And uh, Skylar, I don't remember us ever saying that. <laughs> I don't remember us yeah, ever saying no. the Panthers are doomed when McCaffrey went down. So, no, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, let, no. I'll let you have to because they were yeah, kind of trying see, to put I, you out. I'm like, that's not even what he said. <laughs> exactly. So, so, like, we when we taped the, our show last week, we and we talked about the injury. There was a little segment in there, and like us, I, I said to, the, to these these trolls or whatever on Facebook, I, I do about three or four of these Panthers shows a week. So I don't remember even what I say on what show. So when that, when that came out and it basically made it look like I said, the Panthers are never going to be able to make the playoffs without Christian McCaffrey. Well, that, that kind of got taken out of context. What I was trying to say and get my point across was if Christian McCaffrey, if that MRI came back and it was bad results and it was like, you know, he was going to be out for a very long time and maybe miss a month or, or maybe even more than a month. Yeah. That's probably going to take the Panthers, you know, a, a big hit. And I, I mean, I, I, I believe in Chuba Hubbard. I think he's going to get better as the season goes on. I think Royce Freeman's a decent back, but if you don't have Christian McCaffrey, your best player for six, seven, maybe eight games. Yeah. You're probably going to be on, on the bubble of whether you're going to make the playoffs or not, but absolutely with, with, with this news, like and like we had, what I was trying to get across in last week's show, 
they can win now. They can win in the short term, I think, if it's two, three, maybe four games without McCaffrey. But if it's anything longer than that, it's going to affect the standings. And I'm not crazy. I don't think anyone's be crazy for saying that. No, it's like, I mean, we can't in one breath say that Christian McCaffrey is one of the top three players in the NFL and then pretend like the, the Panthers won't be affected if he's not out there <laughs> in their offense. Like it's, <laughs> Look at the it's, offense it's, last year when he went yeah, exactly. People are like, well, you're, people are saying that, you know, so you're basically saying the coaches can't do anything without McCaffrey out there. Well, we don't know. We haven't seen it. This is only they've only coached in what, 18 games. And most of those 18 games, they didn't have McCaffrey and they have a losing record. <laughs> so it's like we don't know. We So why would we say they can't if we just don't know? We can assume that if any, you take any team's best player off of it they're not going to be as smooth as if the player was there. Like that's just common sense. It's just, I think in today's world in 2021, it's so easy for people to twist up words and, and things to, to make them fit their own vision of what they think or whatever their opinion yes. is. And that's really <laughs> what it comes down to. It's just basically people wanting to argue about stuff. And half the time they're just taking the headline from the, the little picture that believe puts out there and they haven't even clicked and listened to the actual podcast yet, which drives me nuts too. It's like people that uh, just share articles and they don't read them. <laughs> they just share them off the yes. headline, but they don't oh, even yeah, know what's inside of it. It's literally the same thing that we're, we're seeing there. So uh, my advice is for those people that want to chime in on those things, A, listen to the podcast first before you comment on it. Because if you, li if you don't listen to it and comment on it, you might get blasted by us on the podcast in a future podcast for even <laughs> bringing up something we didn't even say. Second of all, uh, Skyler does great work for Sports Illustrated. I'm going to trust him and his opinion on the Carolina Panthers, considering he's reporting on them every day. He's in the press conferences every day. He's at the games when they're being played. He's talking to players. He's talking to coaches. He's right there. You're on your couch. You're on your couch watching get up and coming up with an opinion and typing it into your phone on Facebook. There's a big difference in terms of the coverage. And I think a lot of people have gotten uh, too big for their britches, I guess you could say <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> that they're on the same level as someone as you that are reporting for a national brand for a national football league team. So having said all that, Scholar never even said what he was accused of saying. So, you know, we don't believe the Panthers are going to fall apart. If Christian McCaffrey can't play a couple of weeks, uh, I just kind of picked the Panthers to win uh, Sunday against the Cowboys and didn't even mention the offense really at all. I think the defense yeah. is going to be the key to that game. If the Panthers can score 20 points, I think they win that football game. I, I don't think they're going to allow the Cowboys to score more than hmm, 10 points. And I honestly yeah. feel that in the bottom of my soul. I feel like this defense, uh, they convinced me last week. I was on the edge the week before, like this could be an elite defense. After last week, I'm like, okay, that's three weeks in a row now where I've seen literally the same thing against three different teams on the road and away. That's not uh, that's not a fluke. That's not a mistake. That's a trend. That's like habitual. Like they are good and they know they're good. They didn't think they're going to be this good, which is even worse for the league because now they're confident and good. And that's yeah. and young. That's a combination that can start rolling. And if they get a big win like the Cowboys where – the whole nation's going to be paying attention to this. I think this is going to be the America's game of the week on uh, on Fox, I thought I saw. So this is going to be broadcasted like 80% of the country. If the, if the Panthers come out and show defensively what we've seen the past three weeks, that it doesn't matter who's in front of them, all bets are off. At that point, it, it, the narrative will change on the Carolina Panthers, and they'll know what some of us that have been in the know for a couple of weeks have already known, that 
you know, this Panthers team is for real. They're allowing 10 points per game. <laughs> I mean, in the yeah. NFL, they're allowing 10 points per game. It's just, it's, it's wild to me that uh, they're able to do this. Well, and if you guys, if you guys, the listener, remember what I said, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago, a, a good, young, confident team is a very dangerous team. And yes. Carolina has been flirting with that for the first three weeks of the season. And they, and as I said, when you have a new quarterback and you have some several new pieces, but they're all very young, young pieces on both sides of the ball, the more wins you continue to stack up, the more and more and more that confidence is being built, the higher that, that this that their, their confidence is, they are going to go into that stretch at the end of the season feeling confident that they can even win those games against you know Tampa Bay twice, New Orleans, and Buffalo. That's yeah. a brutal stretch. Yeah. We've talked about that stretch a lot on this show because we know that that is going to tell a lot about the Panthers and their position if they can make the playoffs or not. They have to take care of business in these first 13 games. And I think if they can go in that stretch eight, nine, maybe even 10 wins, I, I don't I don't think 10 wins is a complete far stretch mm-hmm. for the imagination, but it, it's possible. Eight, nine, 10 wins. If they can get eight, nine, 10 wins in these first 13 they will have that confidence to go in that four-game stretch knowing that they can get into the playoffs. I, I, I really do believe that. So, I, Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It, um, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, so, I mean, it starts It starts this Sunday against Dallas. They're, they're going to have a great opportunity uh, to go on the road, beat Dallas. And I think if they can win this game against the Cowboys – not only will that put the stamp of approval on this team being a legit team in the NFC uh, South, but I think it could put put a a, a a a lot more eyes on this team, as in this may be a team to watch out for, not just making the playoffs, but making noise in the NFC playoffs. I think that's that's a thing you got to really start to consider because yes, I understand they don't have you know an Aaron Rodgers back there quarterback, they don't have Tom Brady, but Sam Darnold's not a bad quarterback. And no. you've got a really good defense. If Christian McCaffrey gets back healthy and stays healthy, this is going to be a very, very tough team to beat, and especially when they're playing really good football in December and January. I'll uh, I'll leave everybody with this because I was thinking about this the other day. Most of the time, like we think about uh, the teams that are like great teams in hindsight, we think of them as the great teams before they – well, after they became great. Most of those great teams were not predicted. Like, if you go back and look, look at like some of the teams like uh, the 99 Rams. They came out of nowhere. No one expected those Rams to do what they did that year. As a matter of fact, I think the year before they had a losing record before they had traded for Marshall Falk or whatnot. Uh, the Chiefs, everyone knew they kind of they were okay. They, they didn't suck. They had Alex Smith at quarterback. I think they made the playoffs the year before uh, Mahomes took over. But no one expected them to become the Chiefs that they are today. Uh, even the 2015 even, Panthers. Yeah, no one no one saw that team coming at all. Like even Panther fans, no one knew that team was coming and it's like usually those teams looking back on them, they usually have some sort of star on the team, like a, a nationally recognized star. They probably have a really good defense, they probably can run the ball and they they they're going to have a couple of games where they probably should have lost but they won them anyway. And they just start to roll. And eventually, once they get to eight, nine, ten wins in a row, if they are lucky enough to do that, that's when the nation starts to take notice of them. Unless you're the 2015 Panthers who were called the worst 10-0 team of all time and 
uh, <laughs> that continued on until they finally lost the game. And then they were the worst NFC champion of all time. And then that's what you get for, you know, trying to be good and, you know, make history in the Super Bowl. But to me, that's kind of the blueprint. Like the media doesn't decide who's great. You know, like we don't decide who's going to be the next great team. We can guess and and think who might be, but typically they come out of nowhere. And this Panther team, I'm not saying they're the next ones, but they've got all the ingredients in front of them. Like they they look they they look they, they look, look damn good. Mm-hmm. They look like a team you don't want to see. If you if you if it's like December, January in the playoffs, like the Rams might be the one seed, but I would think that they would not want to play the Panthers. Like just. Not well, that's too strong of a word. They wouldn't be as comfortable playing the Panthers because the Panthers create so many matchup problems on the defensive side that you have to be super creative to get the ball out. And that's just more work. Like, why would you want to play that? So I I think the Panthers are turning into that team nobody wants to play. We'll see if they can continue on and be that playoff team no one wants to play. Panthers taking on the Dallas Cowboys, their first real big test of the season, I guess you could say. Uh, 1 p.m. Sunday on Fox. You can listen to previous episodes of the Believe in Panthers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Make sure you follow them on Twitter at Believe Podcast. Follow Skyler. He's got Panther news uh, from uh, his beat at Sports Illustrated throughout the entire week. His Twitter handle is Callahan underscore. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dez, D-E-Z underscore 3505. Uh, I have a show franchise players that runs every Friday where we have, have extra Panther news and notes for you guys as you go into your weekend. Um, and I think that's going to do it for us here. So we're kind of, I kind of picked the Panthers on Sunday. Did you pick between Panthers and Cowboys or are you, are you comfortable doing that this early in the week? Yeah, I'm still going to, I want to see what happens tonight. I think that's going to be a a good, easy telling sign for me to to be able to make the prediction on this game. So I'll have my predictions out, uh, on Saturday, probably afternoon on on this game, but I'm leaning, I'll say this, I'm (laughs) leaning towards Carolina right now. I love the tease. I love the tease. That's that's great. I love that. <laughs> so for, for Skylar Callahan, I'm Desmond Johnson. You've been listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. We will see you next week and keep pounding. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.